Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning and welcome to Jazz Shapers. It's where the shapers of business meet the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is serial entrepreneur Marcia Kilgore, founder of Beauty Pie, the radical luxury cosmetics buyers club and a hell of a lot more on top of that too. Growing up in Canada, the youngest of three girls, Marcia's father died when she was just 11. It was at that moment she resolved to be independent. I was driven, she says, by the idea that no one would look after me but me. Graduating while holding down three jobs and winning bodybuilding championships, she moved to New York City to study. Her interest in beauty came from a desire, as she says, to fix her own skin. And while working as a celebrity facialist, Marcia had the spark for her first company, the revolutionary Bliss Spa, an international spa and skincare company. And it sat in the building I worked in many years ago, too. Age 29, Marcia was Time Magazine's cover star, one of the new generation of young entrepreneurs destined for great things. And indeed, she's gone on to found multiple successful companies, such as Soap and Glory, a bath and beauty brand with annual sales topping 100 million, and Fitflop, an ergonomic footwear brand that energises you while you walk. But Marcia's biggest, most disruptive idea yet, challenging the beauty industry head-on, is Beauty Pie. We'll find out all about it with Marcia in a few minutes and we'll ask her why the question so what is crucial to any new business idea. We've also got brilliant music on Chess Shapers today from amongst others Kenny Burrell, Bob James and Miriam McCaber. Here's Lonnie Liston-Smith with Expansions. That was Lonnie Liston-Smith with Expansions. I'm very pleased and excited, overjoyed to say that Marcia Kilgore is here with me uh, right now here on Jazz FM. It's brilliant to have you here. Elliot, it is brilliant to be here. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? You, um, We met a few minutes ago, and here we are having a conversation. Hopefully it will be um, both informative and engaging and, and all the usual things that it is on Jazz Shapers. But it strikes me immediately you are someone who is so in the moment that nothing has ever happened before and nothing's worrying you about what's going to happen in the future. Is that, think, is that true? I think they call that attention deficit disorder. Is that what it is? I mean, but, but seriously, <laughs> no, there's something so, very present about you. I do I do get into enjoying my moments, yes. And, what, and where, you only go around once. Well, that's true, but, what, but why is there that sense that I feel like there's a carpe diem about you, seizing the day, which is very powerful. There's a bit like there's that moment in uh, Star Wars when they go, the force is strong. In this one, and I feel the force is very strong. Before we even talk about, although I think it's related directly to everything you've achieved and will continue to achieve. What hey, is? Thank you. What is that about? Oh God, I don't. You know, I don't know. I think maybe a little bit of my my sister would always say I'm fearless, and that I've always been a bit fearless. And it's probably because I come from nothing, so I know how to be happy with nothing, and I know that. You can be very happy with very little because it's about your relationships and how you're experiencing things that don't cost that much. And so I'm not that worried about, you know, what the effects of something might be. Although, of course, I would never want to do something that hurts another person. Mm. So I'll, I'll live kind of freely. I, I'm a free thinker. 
And if that's the case, then what drives you to carry on setting these businesses up, which by your own admission, and you've done a few now, is stressful. And it's inherently stressful because to give birth to anything, whether it's a a human or a business, is incredibly difficult. It is super difficult to start a business and and super difficult to ride it out. I think I always say it's like, like pushing a boulder up a hill every day until you get to the point where it starts to roll by itself and then inevitably it will hit a blockage and then it starts to roll backwards on you and then you have to push again. And I think it's probably a combination of liking to be intellectually stimulated. So I love a challenge. Um, life has, you know, started out being quite difficult for me. Not like some people, certainly everything is relative, but I never had it very easy. So I'm comfortable in a difficult situation. I like having problems to solve, but I also really love that big community that a business gives you. Lots of people to talk to, fun and interesting people, you know, especially now you have social media, you have customers that are coming in and out. It's like a big family, really. And I I love that because I don't want to be bored and I don't want to be lonely. And that makes sense on on a level, but just to push on the free thinking thing and the fact that you don't need much, going towards business. Yeah. I mean, by definition, as you said, well, I'm not really interested in the effects, but there are positive effects from business. Whereas in other, you you could have become a, a, a religious person, you could have become a teacher, but there's something about you which was drawn to business. What do you think that was? I'm an underdog, so I love to learn from other people. And, and I think I probably, when I was younger, didn't have enough in stimulation. Um, I lived in Saskatchewan in Canada, and you know there were two television channels which were quite average and one local newspaper, and it was 40 degrees below zero for eight months of the year, and there was only a library a couple of miles away. So it was a situation where I found myself bored a lot. And I think in business, you do run into a lot of great minds that you can learn from. There's a lot of psychological studies out there that you you tap into and, and a lot of other fascinating people who are trying to solve other problems. And it's kind of like being in the game when you're in business. You don't always run into that many people, you know, in your daily life if you're not doing something that will challenge you. And those challenges started pretty young for you. I mean, you went off to study and then found that you couldn't quite afford to study when you wanted to and you ended yeah. up... It, t- it worked out. It worked out brilliantly, <laughs> though. But the, the, the I, I, we'll talk a lot more about how beauty became intrinsic to your life. But at that point... You, you know, before and I was uh, trying to introduce you seriously, you were flexing because, of course, there's a... The bodybuilding thing. There's a bit of a bodybuilding thing. Where, where you does, can see that about me now, I can right? Still see that. The you're, pecs. you're in fine form. <laughs> you're in fine form. But where, where does that... Um, where did that interest in the body, the physical, come from at that stage? Or was it just because? Well, you know, we were talking just briefly about Myers-Briggs, right? And if I am really an INTP or it, there is such a thing as an INTP, even though Adam Grant says there is no such thing as the Myers-Briggs. Now, I, I is the introvert, not the extrovert. Mm-hmm. N is the intuitive, not the, the was it sensing. Data, yeah, like yeah. database. T, T is a thinker instead of a feeler. And, and P is a... Perceiver. perceiver rather than a judger. Which is basically think you can be amb- hold things lightly, be ambiguous quite happily. Yeah, and you wait for more information to come in before you make a decision on something because you yeah. don't think you have the whole picture yet and you'd rather not rush forward and then have to go back and clean up. Yeah. I'd, I'd put it that way. I'd so rather you, wait. You'd rather wait. So if you were all those things you were saying... Yeah, well, apparently the thing that de-stresses you is exercise. Hardcore exercise, actually. So one of the things that you're supposed to do if you're an INTP to relieve your own stress is to exercise in a in a very extreme way. So, in fact, my father died when I was 11. I probably had a lot of stress. So, you know, hindsight, right? Mm. The hindsight bias is really easy to analyze yourself if you go backwards. Um, but I started doing long-distance running, and then my sister 
at the time. My middle sister was dating a guy who was a bodybuilder, and his brother had a gym. Now, I'm in the middle of Saskatchewan, right? There's not that much to do. So I did long-distance running, and then I joined the gym because I got a free membership. <laughs> so, so I ended up being a bodybuilder because it was something challenging to do. And it also relieved, I suppose, the stress of being in a family where I'd lost my father, where it was, you know, a very unsettling situation where I maybe didn't feel that security that you would probably want to if you had the super perfect childhood. Stay with me to find out about how the not super perfect childhood has helped Marcy Kilgore become who Marcy Kilgore is, which is a very successful entrepreneur. Time for some more music right now before we go back to her. It's Kenny Burrell with Wavy Gravy. That was Kenny Burrell with Wavy Gravy. Both Marcia and I quite like the name. And then Katie, who's with us in here at Jazz Shapers, who works with Marcia, was saying maybe it's something to do with a Sunday roast. We don't know. We'll, <laughs> we'll never know because we haven't spoken to Kenny. And if someone knows and wants to let me know here at Jazz FM. So we were talking before about you and the formative years when you were young and, and the fact that things were quiet and the fact that it, it, where, you, where you grew up and you needed stimulation. So there were books on the one side, there was the gym on the other, and serendipity and so on and so forth took you so far. At what point was there a moment of clarity or focus where you went, okay, I like my life and my life is cool, but I've got something, there's something I'm going to do now beyond bumping into opportunity. Because you talked about the gym membership and then you become an expert in that. And I don't know, maybe that's unfair. Maybe you'll say to me, oh, no, 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 I'm always, I've been focused since I was born. No, I mean, I was focused obviously on delivering at school. And I think it's maybe because of the third of three girls and the two older daughters um, in my family were not so focused. So I always felt for some reason that I had to bring up the rear mm. <laughs> in many ways. Just kidding. <laughs> Squats, lunges, just kidding. Lots of that. Yes. Um, so <laughs> I, I just felt like I suppose for my mom, I wanted to make sure that she wasn't worried about me and that she wasn't worried about the family. And, you know, mm. she was then a, a widow and that must be very tough. So I did kind of want to relieve that weight from her by having her know that I was going to achieve things, although I was kind of focused on schoolwork from a young age. Um, when I moved to New York, I don't think I necessarily had a focus because I didn't have a, that that example, right? the mentorship that some people have, or if you've got a parent who's achieved quite a lot, I think it's easier to see yourself going through that kind of stream, whereas I didn't really. So I kind of, I think, muddled around and tried different things and you know, I was a personal trainer and then I met a lot of people through that and had contacts doing that. And then my skin got really bad. It was all, it, it was all just my own experiences leading to things that I wanted to solve and then thinking, well, there must be other people out there who need to solve these same kind of problems. You mentioned mentorship and, and we talk now and here we are in 2020 and everyone says you need a mentor and we need great examples. And there's this whole kind of piece around diversity and making sure that those people without opportunity are given it. However, if I go back to you, you said oh, I didn't have one. In a way, that has helped you. Yeah, I actually don't really believe so much in mentorship. Yeah, myself. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm kind of with you in the sense that surely your, you know, your children have got you as a role model, and that on one level is great. On another level, it must be frightening. I 
I feel for them sometimes. Yeah, I mean, seriously, because yeah. you know, if you're if you see really successful parents, that's almost as paralyzing as not having any, right? Possibly, yeah. And you think you have to measure up to a certain standard, yeah. and of course, I have high standards, so I try, I, I try not to lean on them too much. But you know, me not leaning on them too much is probably you know 140 percent instead. Well, but Marcy, they work for you, right? I mean, when they work for you, you got to you know. I mean, seriously, there are there are things to complete on time. If that, I can imagine, of course, you know. Yes. T- tell me about the very first big business that. Um, the first one was... How big is big? Well, the big one was, was Spa. Bliss, was, I guess. I guess Bliss, yes. Yeah, before that, I had a little facial studio called Let's Face It. Okay. And it was, you know, was busy, but it was three rooms of people coming in for facials all day. But yeah. that was really where all the celebs started coming in, you know, where where Demi Moore would be in there in her robe with her face mask on trying to get the key for the bathroom. And I remember, it was a great story, actually. We had clients who would kind of sit in the waiting room, but the waiting room, to get to the bathroom, you had to go through the waiting room and then into the hallway because it was one of those old loft buildings in New York. And I remember once giving her a facial and I left her with a face mask on, which was opaque, you know, so you couldn't really see it was Demi Moore. But she's short and she has a very distinctive voice. She does. <laughs> so we, um, I, I left her in there and then she came out in her robe and she says, and there were about four people waiting for their facials on just this sofa that we had. And she came out and said, can I, can I go to the bathroom? And I had to give her the Minnie Mouse key and send her out into the hallway. And I remember one of the people on the sofa going... That that sounded like Demi Moore. <laughs> and you went, no. No, no I no, was no. like, yeah, it did, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but you go from, let's face again. it, you go from, let's to face bliss. it, to Bliss. And Bliss yes. was then within... It was in the same building. It yeah. was just four times bigger. So an art gallery had gone out of business and we decided to take that space because we had a waiting list of about 1,800 people. And we, you know, built out more rooms and then opened in 1996. And how did you scale that so fast? Because it was, rel- I mean, it was international... Within years, right? Um, Within three years, we sold a majority of it to LVMH. And then we moved, we doubled our size by opening another spot in their building on 57th Street. And then I think there was, you know what, I lose track. Yeah, of course. Because there has been so much. So I'm not very good at remembering the exact No, but that's fine. But I I guess what I'm interested in, just for a moment, and then we're going to play some more music, actually, because there's lots here on Chess Shapers today. Um, What I'm interested in is that moment where this young, how old were you at that time? 26. Right, you're 26-year-old. You're now, and this is when you set up the business. I was 20, uh, well, 23 when I had the first one, and then 26 when it turned into Bliss. Okay, and then LVMH is three years later. So you're 29 years old. This is when the front cover of Time, I guess, happens as well. How does a 29-year-old have a clue about funding, about dealing with an LVMH, about realizing value? Just in that moment, if you can just, just what did you, how did you know what to do? Well, so when I was 26, I didn't fund, right? I had just saved all my money. So I was very frugal. Mm. I, I usually build things organically. And you know, if you can't, then probably the product that you're trying to sell isn't good enough. <laughs> if you have to get funding over and over and over again... It's probably not a viable business that you're trying to mm. operate. So I think that's a really organic way to think about it. And, and in terms of the LVMH thing, though, when it happened? Yes. Well, we had a bunch of the big cosmetic companies coming to us. Okay. And LVMH had Christian Dior and a few other uh, French businesses, and they wanted to increase their footprint in America. And so they were really interested in us at the time because we were, you know, hot. Mm. <laughs> hot, written about in all the magazines, all the celebs were coming in. So... We had them and then a couple of other large beauty companies, and they kind of went into a bidding war, which was really exciting, flattering, funny. Never, you know, had any money in my life, really, because everything that I made, I would invest and reinvest into the business. So it was um, it was a very interesting sort of moment, and I remember calling my mom, right? 
and saying, Mom, LVMH wants to buy 70% of Bliss for, you know, X million dollars. And she actually said to me, and this was, like, quite funny, but it's so my mom. She said, um... I don't know. <laughs> like, Mom. <laughs> it's like Fargo. That's what it is. It's like, oh, it was very Fargo. Very Fargo. Very Fargo. Stay with me for much more Very Fargo with Marcia Kilgore. Here's, she's my business shaper. She's a multiple founder of multiply successful businesses. She's going to be coming up in a bit. But first, we're going to hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea with some words of advice for your business. Hi, my name is Andrew Goldstone, and I'm a partner in the tax group at Mishkondorea. My advice for any entrepreneur at any stage of business is to become tax aware. Even if you're a startup, do spend the time and money. A couple of hours on the web can teach you a lot about what tax structures are out there. And then when you do go and see your tax advisor, you'll be prepared. You won't be paying good money just to be told the basics. Instead, you'll get tailored tax advice on what really makes sense for you and your business. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed hear this programme again with Marcia by popping Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. Alternatively, you can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you'll find many of the recent programmes. But back to today and back to Marcia, serial entrepreneur and founder of Beauty Pie, amongst others, the radical luxury cosmetics buyers club. Um... We were talking about that moment and you, you talked to your mum and, and I can see that family is obviously important to you and you talk about your sisters and you talk about, you know, and your mum too. And you say that business is like a family. That's about being surrounded and connected to people. My question is now, over the years, you've seen a gap that you only you have seen. You've gone and invented around it and then you've gone and created. And the invention isn't the same as creation because invention is, well, hold on a minute, it's in my head. Creation is actually something comes to life. Where are you when you have those moments? And are they epiphanies? Is there a physical place? Are you doing something? What's happening that enables you to create the mental space to actually have the breakthroughs? You know, I talk about this a lot as connecting the dots or lighting up the path. Um, And I think that all of your... I have this theory that, you know, no matter how hard your life is or the bad things that you go through, they're parts of your, your story and they're parts of your picture and they are parts of the dots that connect any kind of opportunity for you. So if you are going through a hard time, it might be hard at the moment, but then it gives you something later, a different perspective on something that other people may not see, a little bit of toughness or muscle that other people may not have. And I think that idea helps people get through quite a lot because it opens up new ways to think about things. And I've had so many different experiences and been lucky enough to meet so many different people. And I also love to read, love to read in detail about things that I'm interested in. But then I love to read sort of, I love to scan things that I'm not interested in. And I will put up with a book or an audio book and just listen to it because there might be something in there that puts another little piece of light in my sky or a little dot on my grid so the next time that I'm trying to come up with a new idea if there is a next time if there is another idea in there that is just one more dot that I have available to make a picture 
I forgot what the question no, was, but that Elliot. Is, is that, no, that, the question is whether... <laughs> no, but that, that you've described the fact that everyone has their own unique story that yes. evolves, that the connecting of the dots is critical. And, and it's the, when and, does it happen? And, the, when, and when and if, if there's a where, or is it... And, and is there the metaphorical whiteboard where you're scri- or, or a pad where you're scribbling stuff? I mean, I remember... In my head. In your head. There is a whiteboard with all of those little dots and all those little points of data. You know, data isn't necessarily just numbers, right? Mm. They would say, um, Yale Noah Harari, who wrote Sapiens, mm. he talks about... Uh, it was a great TED talk that I listened to, and he talked about how data is actually measuring emotions. So when you know people are measuring your data online, they're measuring your emotional reaction to something. And for me, I'm, I've never been a big numbers person, although I'm decent at numbers. I'm not. I don't really stare at numbers to try and come up with ideas or or read the data on people. I just think in my gut oh, people will love that, or this isn't good enough. But I think your gut is just a bunch of points of data that you maybe can't explain in words. Mm. Or maybe there are too many of them, and it's too overwhelming to try and put it down. But you know it. But at some point, you do put it down, because at some point, it becomes a proposition. After, at, at, yes. after But when is after? That's what I'm, I'm trying to get at. Because if you've got this in your head, loads of stuff buzzing, buzzing around, and then you go, hold on a minute, why isn't there a pair of shoes like that take fit flop? And you yeah. go, at that point, you have to articulate it. Yes. Uh, and where are you when you're doing that, or doesn't it matter? Where you come up with the idea, or where, where do I come up with the ideas? Yeah, Usually when I'm moving around. On your own? You, um, yes, always on my own. Okay. Yes, you ha- I mean, I'll be out for a walk. I'll be in the shower, right? Some people mm. sing really well in the shower, like Katie. I just go, you know, I'll, I'll be, you know, scrubbing my leg or something and then come up with, oh, that's sort of that last point. But, you know, there is some research to show that when your body moves around, it connects the neurons in your brains more and or your brains. Did I just say brains? I obviously don't have one. No, but there's, <laughs> there's collective brains. You, you're moving, brains. So, so the neurons are moving around and the, what you're really saying is the best thing to do is move. Yes, if you're stuck and you don't have the answer to something, the worst thing you can do is sit and stare at a screen just got to get up and you have to move around. Steve Jobs apparently Mm. would only have walking meetings. So if he needed to solve a problem, he would have someone come to his house and they would go walk around the block. Well, funny enough, my wife always says I'm best at solving problems when I'm walking. Normally we're walking straight. Apparently boys, even more than girls, men more than women are apparently better at solving, you know, when they move, talking about emotions, especially. There's a school in London. I can't remember which one it is, but I think they have orange and yellow outfits. Hill House, maybe? Could be something like that, They make, and it's a boys' school and they make the kids get up every 20 minutes and do jumping jacks or walk around the block. You see these kids out all the time walking around and maybe that's why. Well, maybe if you're listening, sitting down, you should get up right now and walk around the room or wherever you are if you're listening to us on a podcast stay with me for much more here on jazz shapers i'm with master kilgore and we're talking about where ideas come from time for some more music right now it's bob james with westchester lady That was Westchester Lady from Bob James. Marcy Kilgore is my business shaper. We've been talking about the roots of ideas, connectivity, and don't worry about being in, you know, in a difficult place because that itself is juice for the future. The other thing about the last 20-so years or however many you've been doing this for is that you do something, you do it for a few years, you go, thank you very much, you gracefully and graciously say, I think you can run this now. You might move yourself on to the next one. What happens for you? Is it that you just know you're better at the, or you enjoy the stimulation of the creation rather than the day-to-day 
running of something once you think it's up and running and safe? Yeah, I think when I can't do that much more to really move the dial for it and it's not hard enough or it's repetitive, then I do get a little bit bored. So yep. it's better to go and you know start something again. The struggle, that struggling part where you really have to knit it all together to make it work and to make it go is what I'm good at. And I enjoy it. And there's, but there's also, you don't leave it, you know, plenty of people that try stuff and they spend a few weeks or a few months and it, it goes away. Yours, you've left legacy in each one of these, which is there's a robust substantive business. So it isn't like it's, you know, day three that you, that you, you shift on. Oh, Do you mention, yeah, nothing takes, nothing, I mean, it takes, I mean, it takes time, takes a long it? time. Yeah, yeah. I think people underestimate how long it takes to just get a new idea cemented into people's minds as, as something that is viable. Right? Are, you are you already thinking, though, okay, this is a five-year plan? This is, I'm done, or, or oh, is no. it? no. No, you never know. But you know if it's a good idea, and because you want to buy it, right? I never, listen, I cheat a little bit. I always make things that I want to buy. So that's not, you think, oh, it's so brilliant. Well, it's not really. I just really want great shoes that are incredibly comfortable and are less taxing on the body and make me feel energetic when I walk and look good. You know, so that's really easy to sell, isn't it? Now I have to find a biomechanist. The hardest part actually at the beginning was finding what I needed. I thought I needed shoe designers and I needed biomechanists. This is for FitFlop. Yeah, so I was interviewing shoe designers and telling them, I want a shoe that does this and that and this and that and that. And they would all just stare at me with this blank look on their face saying, I don't know how to do that. I just draw shoes. (laughs) And I thought, wow, there's nobody in the industry who actually knows how to. And as it turned out, I was also friendly with a dean at the University of Swansea who had invented intense pulse light therapy. And he said, oh, you should come up and talk to our biomechanics department. And that's where I knew I needed a biomechanist instead of a shoe designer. So it's, it's by getting out there. And again, that was a point of light. Right? If I wouldn't have ever come across the word biomechanics, I wouldn't have known that that's who I needed to invent that shoe. So it's, it's sort of going out there and digging around until you connect all those dots. In terms of the, um, I've read about um, something you said around failure. You said it's not a failure. It's just a, it's a, I didn't have enough data. I learned something. It is about, there's about succeeding and there's about learning. Yes. There must have been tens of ideas, hundreds of ideas, which have never made... The, the cutting room floor, or rather are on the cutting room floor. They never actually made it into the movie. Where do those go? Are they still just in your journey and in your connective tissue that you look up to? Well, I think, you know, as a person, I suppose, with a slightly creative mind, I will always come up with ideas just, you know, walking around experiencing the world. And the good ones are the ones that I think I would buy that myself, which is always the litmus test. If I'm not going to buy it myself for the price that I've got to charge for it, then I'll never sell it because I just think that's... <laughs> Bad karma more than anything else. Um, but I wouldn't be interested in promoting it because it's so hard, right? You have, to, yeah. you have to give so much energy and there are so many ups and downs that if you don't have, if it's an idea that isn't really big or viable, eventually you'll just let it go. So I, I have a lot spinning around in my head at any given time. And usually the ones that aren't that important, they drop. And do you settle, Marcia? Are there moments when you can be calm? I don't mean that you're not... <laughs> no, but what in, are you saying, Elliot? Well, well, I've detected quite a lot of energy. No, but in a totally, from a serious point of view, are there moments where you just go, I can really switch off from all of this? Because I can, I can even see now that there's like 50 things that you're thinking about and that's just the kind of person you are. But can you slide it down to, okay, I'm just relaxing now. And I could, or is it, is it that you have to go and do the intense walk? You have to walk up the hill to, to really chill out? Uh, well, I don't do a lot of sitting around 
relaxing. Mm. But if I am off, I'm 100% off. But then when I'm on, I'm, you know, 300% on, I suppose. But there's not very much off. But off for me is walking up a hill. Yeah. But alone, you know, where I can kind of pull my thoughts together. Stay with me for my final chat with Marcia. Plus, we're playing a track from Miriam McCaber. That's all in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was the incredibly upbeat Miriam McCaber, putter, putter, positive song, positive sound. You are a very positive person. It doesn't seem to me that your your feathers are ruffled very often in a negative way. Is that how you lead people as well? Is that what your team would say about you? This is a person who will always see the positivity in it, or is it a bit more sanguine than that? I think I uh, it's a choice, right, to be positive or negative or whatever else in between. So I certainly always try to give people the energy and give people the path and the optimistic outlook on things because it is that or the opposite. Mm. It's that simple. But and it's you, isn't it? I look at you and it's your personality. It's not like something you said, well, in business, one needs to succeed by being positive. You are naturally, I think, someone who has made a decision to be positive. I'm really grateful. Yes, I have made a decision to be positive. Absolutely. Mm. And it takes practice. It's mm. a habit, like mm. everything else. You can look at something as being you know, terrible or you can look at it as what am I getting out of this or what am I learning from it? And like any muscle, right? It's a positivity muscle, so you have to exercise it. And, and then the, it becomes a, a easy, thing that you do. Natural. And in terms of exercising it, here we are now. We're how how long into beauty pie? Your your recent three years. Three years. Yeah. And I've read about it again. It said the the Netflix of the beauty world and yeah. you know, the subscription model, you get it, great stuff, but it's not the, not expensive and so on. Are you loving your, you, we've we talked earlier about your role as an outsider. Are you and, and yet you're inside it because you're part of you're sort of you know, recognizing the beauty industry as one of the people. Are you quite loving shaking it up or are you loving the fact it's a viable business or both? Well, you know, I, the beauty industry is a really tough, old, stodgy industry. And the way it's been done for so many years doesn't actually benefit the customer. And I worked in it for such a long time and realized that my favorite part is really just going to the labs and building these beautiful products and seeing people enjoy them. But the part in between, I really didn't enjoy, which was the retailers and the markups and trying to value engineer things backwards to make sure that you made enough money when, you know, retailers take 60% of a retail price. And I thought, you know, no one goes into product development anymore in beauty thinking, what does the customer want? They think all the way backwards from, well, the retailer's saying this, and I need to have a 60% margin for them, and then I need to back out of it, blah, blah, blah. And the product doesn't end up being, you're not focusing on the customer. And I just wanted to do it backwards. So I was a little afraid, I have to say. At the beginning, I thought, oh, my God, I'm about to tell everyone that, you know, their face creams and their high-tech Swiss moisturizers that they're paying £100 for actually really cost $10 to make or £10. And I thought a lot of people would be really upset with me if I did that, a lot of people in the industry. And I did have that moment where I thought, oh, I can't do this because everyone's going to kill me. And then I thought, I have to do this because so many more people will love me. Mm. (laughs) And it really came down to that decision of, well, someone's got to shake it up and think about the customer again. 
right? And and get rid of all of those irrelevant layers that are in the beauty industry now. So why not me? And have there been voices that are negative? Have there been uh, outward attacks or has it been a bit more subtle than that? Nothing. Nothing. Because what we're saying is true. So I don't think anyone can really say anything. Well, beauty pie, you know, what they're saying about the prices of luxury beauty products and how much they really cost to make it's true. And the beauty pie, there's a, there, there was a pop-up a few weeks ago. Ah, oh, yes, there was. I mean, where, where and about, it's still going. And where, and where is Harvey it? Harvey Nichols. Harvey now, Nichols. that was a shock <laughs> for us because we are a real disruptor, right? We are showing people the bare bones of, of luxury beauty. And we're, we're kind of pulling the mask off of it. And um, Harvey Nichols came to us. You know, they've always been very tongue-in-cheek. They've got a good uh, visionary leadership there. And they really understand what's hot now and what customers want. And they actually came to us and said, will you do a pop-up in the middle of Harvey Nichols' luxury beauty floor? So for me, I thought that was that was pretty brave of them. And talking of knowing what's hot and what's not, you obviously are not bad at this game, right? You've been doing it for a while. You keep kind of getting a tick in the box. If I was the, the, the headmaster or the headmistress, I'd be saying, well, this student of, uh, of the world of business is doing pretty well. What do you think is next? Because I, if, if, if it's true that there's n- the money has no effect and you've, you, know, you only have to go and Google Marcia and find out that, that many businesses have sold for many millions and you're, look, you know, you're sitting here like a normal person talking to me about what you're doing now and as excited as you were comparing about... Uniqlo. Yeah, compare, we're, we're comparing Uniqlo. Yeah, we're comparing Uniqlo with Coss and, and other wonderful brands and anything else that we might be wearing. So obviously it's not the money that drives you. Where in five years is Master Kilgore going to be? Oh, I think Beauty Pie will still be going very strong because it's such a big concept. And, you know, like a Spotify or like a Netflix, it takes a really long time to to really grow that and, and build the business in a wide way that can reach enough people. Um, and the bigger it gets and the more members we have, obviously, the more that we can do for people. I do have a couple of other ideas. Of course you do. Yeah, but I don't know if I... I can't tell you right now because they're in the patenting phase. not just telling phase. me. That's the truth. i got to yeah. let you into a secret. There's other people there's other that people might... Listening? Apparently. Yeah, then there's I can't. A, there's I a can't. few. There's at least three. I'll tell three. you what. I'll come back. You can come... I want you to come back. Yeah. We'll do an encore well, and you can come back in a couple oh, of years and you can tell me when you set these ones up. Is that a deal? It's going to be a really fun one to talk about. I can't wait to hear. Seriously, I can't. It's been absolute pleasure and an honor to meet you. Your energy is totally infectious. But before I let you wander off into the distance, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Oh, well, I thought that Ain't Misbehaving (laughs) was really relevant for me, the beauty industry and, you know, being a disruptive entrepreneur because I'm really not not trying to be bad. Of course you're not. It just comes out that She says way. with a smile on her face <laughs> and a twinkle in her eye, it's Sarah Vaughan, it's your choice, it's Ain't Misbehaving. No one to talk with all by myself No one to walk with but I'm happy on the shelf Ain't misbehaving, saving all my love for you that was Sarah Vaughan with Ain't Misbehaving, the song choice of my business shapers today, Marcia Kilgore. She saw herself as the underdog, always fighting the system, as it were. She talked about the decision she made to be positive. What a brilliant way of looking at life. And finally, she talked about that creative phase that she's always in. It's all about connecting the dots. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a good week. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.